0: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us.
1: All right. Um, good morning, listeners. Um, you are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio on the 855 AM dial. Um, um, in the um, industry today, we have me, Jacob, um, and we also have a new person today, Bree. Hi. Yeah. Um, it's her first um, time being on the program, so she's just she'll probably help us out with um, talk discussing a bit of news um, in the program. Um, now... Before I, we start, I'd like to acknowledge um, that we're, you know, FreeCR is being broadcast to you from the uh Nation of the Kulin Land, and, you know, that always was, always will be um, Aboriginal land, um, and that sovereignty was never ceded. Okay, um, before we um, kind of begin, uh, I guess probably uh, to announce what's coming up, we have... At least two interviews booked in for the program. Um, we have Bruce Hearn uh, Mac- McKinnon, um, who is part of a, a band um, who's currently going to be t- in touring in October. Going to be um, touring with a band um, about you know to do a, a tribute um, tour of to Woody Gumphrey, who's uh, quite a well known um, radical folk singer. And um, so we'll be discussing with him the significance of you know Woody Gufrey for you know radicals everywhere, and you know a bit more about his upcoming tour um and then eight at eight ten am um we'll be doing an interview with Sue Bolton um, about the recent um Moreland council um, developments um there's been a big kind of it's been kind of in the media. Um, For the past day, um, basically, the Moreland Council voted to abolish um, Australia Day celebrations um, following um, the Derbin and the um, city of Yarra councils, Um, and of course, um, the racists and uh, the establishment media is not happy about it, uh, especially about uh, towards Sue Bolton's comments of comparing um, Australia Day to the Holocaust. Um, but we'll be t- um, we'll be talking to Sue Bolton in more detail about that. Um, I guess, um, uh, Bree, do you have any kind of highlight news that's been the sh- to share?
2: Um, yeah, in this week's Green Left Weekly, there's a really good article about um, the... Uh, uh, Adani um, lobbyist um, uh, Cameron Milner um, has apparently um, started lobbying for Adani with the Labor Party. Also, um, there was a recent summit that uh, set out a five-point plan to counteract the five-point plan um, put forward uh, by Adani um, by...
1: Uh, well, I think... Um I'm not sure Always oh, quickly, or just um, I guess on the um, Stop Adani summit, um, as the, as it, um, as written, kind of here. Just Wait, sorry, then quickly get it. Sorry, listeners. Yeah. So here. Again. So um, basically, the the um, the kind of plan has really kind of set um, a kind of planning of our local week of training for local activists from September sixteenth to the twenty third in the WIT Sunday. Um, region, um, and probably the big thing to be aware of is the kind of big national day of action for the Stop Adani campaign on October the 7th. Um, in Sydney, this will involve a massive photo opportunity at 10am at the Bondi Beach, which, as Mark Gleason here writes in the latest Greek Earthquake. Um, it is planned that thousands of people will spell out a Stop Adani message, um, which will be photographed from the air. A similar action will take place in, uh, in the... And of course... Part of the um, going on from what Bree said about the five point plan. The five point plan will include stopping the NAF loan, exposing Adani's shocking track record, um, growing the movement, solidarity with First Nations, and ending bipartisan support. Um, because yeah, one of the issues with uh, the Adani coal mine um, is that it has is not just supported by the Liberal government; um, it is also being receiving uh Massive support from the Queensland Labor government, and I guess one of the other issues is um, is basically that you know it's the money of it is coming out of our tax dollars. Um, now that's that's the I guess the kind of recent developments in um, the Stop Adani campaign. One thing to um, follow up is that there's likely when the coal mine is going to start um, when. Sorry, when it starts being built, the activists are going to start organising to build a bit of a blockade to prevent the the thing from being built. But um, stay tuned to kind of further developments um, in that area. Now, one thing I kind of want, uh, one kind of headline news um, that's kind of been in the news a lot lately. This is something coming from Sydney. Um, but just recently um there was a, a two a two day uh, there was a day of strike action at the university of um sydney um on the 13th of september um basically Following that strike, the striker is um, basically uh, part of NTEU's ongoing negotiations of a new enterprise agreement with the university. Um, the NTEU is asking um, a, for a 2.4% p- annual pay rise, while the university is only offering 22.1%. Um, um, so as a result, the NTU have been taking action against the, the management of the university. Uh, and now since... Following that one-day strike, um, the National Territory Education Union has voted at a meeting today to continue strike action at the University of Sydney, and that will begin another strike again um, on Wednesday, the fourth and the fifth of October. Um, just to give a few comments, because just following um, some of the, uh, um, following this strike on social media. Um, what was pretty striking um, about it was what was quite significant was the solidarity between students um, and staff, with the students playing quite a significant role in supporting the strike, um, including leafleting um, at lectures and announcing um, to lectures that they will be joining the um, lectures and teachers and strike. Um, something that's also quite significant about this particular, particular strike action is this comes kind of in a time um, where, where you know, this was reported kind of like we kind of talked about this last week on Greenleaf Weekly Radio, um, but the Murdoch University developments of um, terminating their enterprising, um, enterprise bargaining agreement, um, and then following that, you uh, you know, that's kind of sets off a trend for, um, you know, bosses at uni to university um, management to, you know, basically think, you know, what what ways can we attack staff? So this is coming in that kind of – this kind of strike and this sort of industrial conflict is coming, you know, in a time where university management are going hard off at um, at workers and, you know, t- casualisation of the workforce and, you know, the weakening of working conditions. Um, interesting enough <laughs> – uh, probably like a week or two ago, um, the University of Sydney tried to um, release a poll, um, which would basically uh, try to give them a mandate for you know uh, a new a new enterprise bargaining agreement that was not negotiated with the union, and they also put that poll to non union members. Um, unfortun- unfortunately, fortunately, not unfortunately, um, the. The poll, despite you know, the underhanded way it was sort of, it, um, it got a resounding no from um, the majority of staff at the University of Sydney, um, which then following that, the, NG, uh, the NGU organised this strike action. Um, so we can stay tuned um, for further developments um, on that area. Um, we we'll pos- potentially we might look into seeing if we can get an interview with um, the end, uh with the NTU about um, the ongoing industrial dispute. It's seven fourteen on the eight five five AM dial. Um, in turn, I guess it's now time to talk about some news from um, the latest um, Green Left Weekly. Um, one particular significant um, article that's been printed here is on the on West Papua, um, and the article is titled um, Silent Genocide as Corporations Profit. Um, Bree, do you want to start off the discussion about this?
2: Um, yeah, so basically the rundown is that um, Indonesia continues to occupy West Papua, um, uh, violating the basic human rights of its indigenous people, and Australia is complicit in allowing this, all because... Um, all because uh, some people stand to make money from um, the mining companies that currently op- operate in the country.
1: Yeah, and um, one, I guess it's kind of like still the kind of same old story. Um, you know, while... You know, there's also the the kind of role of the fact that, you know, Indonesia um, is, you know, repressing um, movements um, that are fighting for independence. Um, You know, one of the kind of practical things they've done is, you know, outlawing the raising of the West Papuan flag, the Morning Star, um, and many local um, traditional customs um, colluded with um, international companies um, to exploit timber and minerals and carry out rapes, um, massacres, and assassinations. Um, In terms of like the death count, um, the Free West Papua campaign says that, you know, over 500,000 civilians have been killed in a genocide against the Indigenous population. Um, Thousands more, you know, have been tortured, imprisoned or disappeared after being detained. And of course, basic human rights, um, such as freedom of speech, um, are denied and Papuans live in, you know, a constant state of fear and intimidation. Um, And it goes... Um, elaborating more about you know what Bree said about, you know, the uh you know, the role of corporations, um, and the corporate kind of plunder. Um, the Indonesian occupation obviously is, you know, directly related to corporate interests. Um US company Freeport McMoran operates the Grassberg mine in Papua, um, the largest gold mine and the world were the third largest copper mine in the world. Um, Freeport's third-largest shareholder, Carl Icahn, happens to be a special advisor to, you know, Donald Trump. And of course, there's also, you know, the uh, Australians' com- complicit role in this. Um, you know, from the arrival of Papua refugees in, in Australia in 2016. 2006, and the subsequent um, media attention about the occupation of the West Papua angered um, the uh, Indonesian government, which temporarily withdrew its ambassador from Australia. However, you know, Australia was keen to keep good relations with Indonesia, and ex Prime Minister. John Howard signed the Lotbok Treaty, a joint agreement with the two countries. Uh, you know, one of the terms of this treaty is, you know, a non-interference into the internal affairs of one another, effectively silencing silencing any acknowledgement by Australia of Indonesia's genocide of West Papuans. Since then, you know, Australia has accepted no refugees um, from from West Papua, as Amos um, told us in. Written in the article, um, of course, there's also yeah, there's also the kind of the role of the the military aid. Um, you know, Australia, Britain, um, and the US have intensively collided with, Indi- colluded with Indonesia by training and funding its anti-terror police force, um, known as Detachment 88, um, which tortures and kills Papuan activists. Um, Indonesian military personnel are trained on Australian campuses, costing Australian tax dollars, payers millions of dollars. Um, further war encompasses um, Indonesian Special Forces military squ- squad is also trained in Australia. There are also numerous reports of their brutality, including the torture, mutilation and beheading of West Papuans. Um, Of course, you know, concluding here with the article, um, keen to profit from the neighbours' use of arms, last year the Australian government signed a collaboration agreement to develop a mine-resistant armoured vehicle. Um, Do you have any more further comments, Bree?
2: Um, Yeah, I'd just like to mention, um, of course the mainstream media hasn't been covering this internationally, but... um, I'd also like to point out that in keeping with the oppressive regime, uh, journalists and human rights organisations are refused entry to the country. Um, so the mainstream media can't be entirely blamed uh, for the lack of coverage, but I do think there needs to be more attention drawn to this issue.
1: All right, and so I guess um, just another kind of quick... I'll play a quick announcement and we can move on to another international news article. Um, just quick announcement.
0: Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational
2: argument. With words from Hawthorne, Patman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. So tune in to 3C Hour Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. On Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy.
1: All right, um, you are listening to Green Left Weekly um, Radio um, on in terms of on the eight five five AM dial. Um, we got some. This is another article on um, the um, from Core Winter on basically. It's about Venezuela. Um, U.S. Venezuelan activists uh, say is quoted here saying Trump will not be um, not secede in Iceland, Venezuela, um, as. The article here starts with a quote from uh, a long time Venezuelan grassroots activist, a Venezuelan grassroots activist based in New York. Um, The US is, you know, doing the same thing as it did with the economic blockade on Cuba to try and suffocate the um, Venezuelan government, he explains. Speaking to Green Left Weekly in Carcass, um, kamar Carul said the sanctions will cause a lot of difficulties for Venezuela, but the reality is that a lot of time has passed since the first blockade um, was imposed on Cuba, and of course, many things have changed um, He then write, He then said, states that you know the Donald Trump administration um, placed a range of sanctions on August. Um, twenty five um, that according to a White House statement um, seeks to um, seek to block a critical source of funding for the Venezuelan government um, however camaco said the us cannot isolate Venezuela as it did with Cuba for many so many years um, the politics of the continent has changed and of course one of the kind of one of the biggest changes um, you know that has happened in Latin America you know since since Cuba is, you know, um, you know, following, you know, the Cuban revolution, there's been many kind of uprisings in Latin America known as like the Pink Bloc with, with, you know, the election of left-wing governments in Ecuador, um, Venezuela and Bolivia. And, of course, um, you know, you know, he refers to here that you know the US has lost the balance of power in the organisation of the American states um, because of CARICOM, the Caribbean um, community bloc. Out of a total of 32 countries, Venezuela has 15 votes from the Caribbean, plus the votes in Nigeria, Ecuador, El Salvador, Bolivia, and Uruguay, which are all voted with Venezuela, no one wants intervention um, in Venezuela is not Cuba, and even the Cubans say this. Said Kamkura. Importantly, um, you know, and this is pretty significant in light of you know the fact we're you know gone past September eleven. Importantly, Venezuela is different to the Chile of former socialist president um, Salvador Allende, which was overthrown by a U.S. military coup. Um, he said Venezuela has an army that has far more, far more than. for more more than 18 years, has demonstrated its support for the revolution and Latin American independence. Um, And then he also notes here that, you know, there are are divisions within the U.S. ruling class over Venezuela as some of the sanctions could potentially damage the interests of certain big U.S. corporations. Um, U.S. petroleum company Horizontal, for example, has... Um, $1.3 billion invested in the Orocono heavy oil belt, while JP Morgan Morgan has already complained to Trump because of the large investments they have in Venezuela. On the other hand, um, Kamakura had noted that Venezuelan president, um, Nicolas Maduro, has said the present um, situation could create opportunities for Venezuela. Um, Under former president Hugo Chavez, Venezuela began moving away from its dependency on the U.S. market and diversifying its trading partners. Um, Today, Venezuela um, uh, assembles cars and buses supplied by China. Venezuela also has an agreement with China regarding sellout technology which is critical for communications and surveillance. China was the only country prepared to sell the patents and transfer technology to Venezuela. Um, Of course, at the same time, Venezuela is building an oil refinery in China where the final product belongs to Venezuela. Um, Of course, the current situation is likely to push um, the Venezuelan government to trade more with other countries, particularly um, China and Russia, um, as as they are forced to import machinery um, and parts from countries other than the US. Um, and further speculation, he then states that you know the recent hurricane in Houston, Texas, which has caused many oil refineries in the area to close, could result in the price. Um, of oil, Venezuela's main export and key source of financial income. Um, Venezuela has the largest proven reserves of oil. It is also rich in other resources such as rare mineral, metals, gold, industrial diamonds and fresh water, all resources that many countries are in need of, including China, India and South Africa. Um, so that's kind of like the kind of, he kind of pates from this kind of discussion that Coral Winter has with um, come. Kamakur, that's the kind of summary of kind of like the sort of economic kind of situation um, in sort of the terms of international trading partners and so on. Um, but turning to the domestic situation, Kamako said that to overcome critical food shortages, the Maduro government has restarted the ka- Casa de element, which is... Um, which is in English, uh, stands for Food Houses, Social Mission, which is dedicated to supplying cooked meals to um, for vulnerable families and individuals. Um, they, were, they were closed down a few years ago as the country had reached a point where everyone had access to food from other sources. Um, to restart the mission, um, local community councils, which are grassroots bodies for people's Participation in local decision-making will carry out surveys in their areas and identify those who are at risk of missing out on meals. The government will um, seek out people who want to cook for the community and build a kitchen with all the necessary conditions to cook free meals. A day for those in need in their community. All the food will be supplied by the government on a fortnightly basis and the cook will be paid and trained by nutritionists. The meals are totally free. Um, Now, of course, um, other critical... Problem, Venezuela. Um, well, something that's kind of been reported in the mainstream media. Bit um, has it's been been the huge queues at ATMs um, across the country. Banks are unable to give um, customers cash in the form of Bolivia um, notes, which is the local currency. Um, the origin um, of the problem uh, at through you know states here, is the fact that paper money has been stolen by, you know, the private banks. Uh, Comcora said that, you know, 25 tons of paper money was recently found in um, Coguo, which some 40 million BS 100 notes were found in Rio in Brazil. Um, Lillian Tintura, the wife of the far-right opposition leader Leopoldo, do, um, Lopez, currently being held under house arrest for his role in the violent protests of 2014 that left about 40 dead, was found with um, BS 200 million in her car boot. The cash had been illegally supplied to her by a private bank. And This kind of example, um, Kamakura states, um, Kamakura says, this is just another example of how the opposition is trying to destroy the economy, in this case by removing paper money by circulation, knowing that if more money is printed to replace the stolen notes, inflation will rise further in a context where the country is facing a triple-digit inflation rate. Um, So that's kind of of like a summary. It's pretty interesting to kind of sort of get a bit of a, a sort of personal kind of account from, you know, a left-wing activist of what's happening in Venezuela. And it also kind of speaks to kind of like, you know, the struggles of building a kind of political alternative in Venezuela because if you ever try to do anything kind of progressive, there's always the opposition or the capitalist class is always going to try and roll back kind of any kind of gains you can make. You have anything to comment there, Brie?
2: Yeah, it it goes to show that and no one is surprised by this, the Trump administration doesn't really fully understand what's actually going on in Venezuela if they can think that just by um, uh, putting these sanctions on Venezuela that they're going to absolutely destroy Venezuela. it's It it might be bad for the economy, but um, Venezuela has certainly shown that they have the potential to be independent of the U.S.,
1: and I think that's um, probably like the trend of a lot of uh, Latin American countries because Latin American countries have been, you know, Latin America has been exploited by the US for so long. And now, you know, now they you know, countries like Venezuela and Bolivia and Ecuador are saying, no, we, we don't, they are standing in firm opposition to the kind of US kind of imperialist kind of onslaught. Um, and I guess now, probably, um, I'll play a quick announcement, but we can probably um, talk about what's ha- kind of the recent developments that are happening in Colombia, which unfortunately, that's um, one Latin American country that is distinctively probably more right wing um, than some of the ca- neighboring countries like Bolivia and Venezuela. So, we read. We'll probably read out some recent articles, um, and developments that are happening um, in Colombia. Um, just a quick nonsense.
3: Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara they discharge their tailings in the waterways, and they kill us. And they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing.
2: Subscribe to 3CR bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch.
3: They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces.
0: Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377.
1: Right. um you're listening to um, Green Left Weekly Radio. At um, It is 7.31am on the 8.55am dial. Um, now, I guess now that, it, as we were kind of discussing before, we've been talking about um, politics in Venezuela. Um, I guess now it's time kind of to talk about, um, there's a, a good, a series of articles here on what's happening in Colombia. Um, and basically this will be focusing on on um, basically to give a bit of background in Colombia, there's um, there's a a, a, a kind of revolutionary uh, a communist army called the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, um, which you know has been kind of like in an armed. Struggle against the Colombian government for quite a while, um, and you know there have been this recent. There was this recent kind of um, referendum that passed, which basically meant um, <laughs> um, that the government would not re- would not resume peace talks with their with their armed forces. Um, and now, since um, in the, the start of December, um, uh, not not December, I mean September. Um, the uh, uh, FRARC has transformed itself into a political party. Um, this is written, that's the title of the article here, which has been reprinted from the Morningstar online. Um, that states, writes here that, you know, Colombia's um, Communist Army, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, has relaunched itself as a political um, party on Center the 1st uh, at a concert for reconciliation and police in Bolivia Square. Um, the guerrilla movement, which has fought one of the longest civil wars in history you, until agreeing to a ceasefire with the government last year, confirmed its new name um, the day before, um, uh, before at the end of its five-day Congress. Um, it is now known as the Revolutionary Alternative Forces of the Common, which um, will allow to, it to re- retain the FI. RC acronym. Um, the, um, th- a bit of history, the FRRC was formed in 1964 as the military wing of the Colombian Communist Party after rural communist strongholds came under attack by the military. Um, the former rebel group has maintained a strong presence in the jungle areas ever since, defending poor communities from violence by the government and right-wing paramilitaries. Um, the FRARC has announced um, that it will seek electoral alliance with the Communist Party, the two organised organizations formally separated in 1993. in the 2000 um w- well, in 1993 but now they're going to be running together in the 2018 elections um it takes heart from the Gallup poll released on August 31 that showed it was the least unpopular. it was the least less unpopular than any other political party while 84% had a negative view of it. 87% had a negative view of Colombia's other political parties. Um, the FARC's top leader, um, Rodrigo Longdor, better known as Timochenko, insists that the group will not give up on its ideological foundations. Other leading member, Ivan Marquez, said, We don't want to break ties with our past. We have been and will continue to be a revolutionary organisation um south american um lock um secretary general and ernesto Sampa, who attended the far con- um farc congress said one of the main functions of the new party will be to lead a for the formation of a large progressive bloc for peace um the farc's transformation into a peaceful political party follows four years of tense negotiations in havana sponsored by the Cuban, Venezuelan, Chilean and Norwegian governments. It signed a ceasefire with the Colombian president, um, Manuel Santos, last year and handed its weapons to the United Nations in June this year. Um, through the United States and European and European Union classified the group as a terrorist organization. United Nations studies estimate that the FARC and rival left wing army, the National Liberation Army, only accounted for 12% of the deaths in the long civil war, with right wing parliamentary groups responsible for the 80%. Um, so that's kind of like, kind of sets up an, uh, a develop, um, development in Colombian politics, which I think. Looks like it's going, be going from because it's had because you know this sort of armed struggle has actually been going on for a while and now. They're going adopting, I guess, another approach um, to building um, the left in um, Colombia. So it'll be interesting, um, to follow, because yeah, one of the things about Colombia is it's ruled by a pretty fascististic kind of right wing government compared to say countries like Bolivia, Venezuela. Um, and ecuador okay you are listening um to green left weekly um at the eight five five a m dial we'll just speak um sport talking about politics um in colombia with um the rise of the of the kind of shifting of the um f a r c communist party um but now we're going to be talking about um this is a article on the back cover of the Green Left Weekly, um, you know, titled No Support for US Wars. Um, the the threat of, you know, Tony Iltis writes here, um, the threat of nuclear annihilation is closer than any time since the end of the Cold War, as two heads of state use nuclear weapons as props in what looks like a fight between uh, two adolescent boys. Um, I guess, the two people he's referring to is Donald Trump <laughs> um, and uh, the North Korean uh, Kim Jong Un. Um, so, one of the kind of this, um, one of the uh, one of the kind of things that points to the article is kind of like you know Australia, how you know Australia is kind of being dragged in into this kind of you know what um, kind of. You know this kind of conflict between between the United States and the North Korea, um, and of course, um, it's right in here that um, let me think. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull, um, you know, told Radio Free AW on August you know eleventh that you know America stands by its allies, including Australia, of course, and we stand by the United States. So be very, very clear on this that if there's an attack on the US the uh, A Treaty will be invoked and Australia will come would come to the aid of the United States. Um as America would come to our aid if we were attacked. And of course he was following this, you know, um Malcolm Turnbull told, you know, um that he was confident Trump was on the right path. But when Stefan Novak asked, will we go to war? He replied, the risk of war is greater than it's been since the end of the um, Korean War. Um, and Tony Iltis here then writes a bit about the history of... Um, you know about you know this this whole conflict, um you know, and he writes here since since the 1940s, Australian governments of both parties have been keen to promote Australia as a Washington's most loyal ally, regardless of the sanity of um, the incumbent U.S. president. The policy is based on the premise that if Australia unquestionably follows the U.S. into any war. Um the U um the US, the world's most powerful imperialist state, will look after Australian capitalist global interests. Um this policy has led to Australia's involvement in numerous wars, um, from, you know, Korea in the nineteen fifties, Vietnam in um, the 1960s and 70s to more recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria. This policy has allowed um, Australian mine companies to operate across the globe from the Democratic Republic um, of Congo to Romania and Chile, making hu- huge profits at the horrific cost of the environment um, and workers and local communities. Um, the devastation wrought by the Korean War is the reason for you know the North Koreans xenophobic paranoia um, because you know the media generally likes to portray Kim Jong Un as a mad, as kind of like you know this crazy madman, but the but that provides no further explanation for North Korea's um, nuclear program. The fact that Iran and continues to suffer sanctions despite abandoning its nuclear weapons program and Iraq was invaded after getting rid of its weapons of mass destruction points to some kind of rationality to North Korea's approach, as Tony writes here. It also points to the antique, um hypocrisy, Hypocrisy on the part of the West, the largest nuclear power, declared that it is unacceptable for other countries to have nuclear weapons. North Korea was not responsible for the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and it has not used the population of any Pacific Island nations as gunny pigs in nuclear tests. On July 8th, when the UN, UN General Assembly supported a resolution to ban nuclear weapons, Australia joined the nuclear powers in boycotting the session. On July 21st, Trump announced an escalation of the US presence in Afghanistan, attempting to portray his policy as distinct from his predecessors. He said the US's role in Afghanistan would now be killing terrorists, not nation-building. This does not, however, signify a change in US policy in Afghanistan since um since 2001 has meant destruction of the country and fueled terrorism. Um, following Trump's announcement, uh, Australian ministers suggested they respond favourably to any U.S. call for more Australian troops in Afghanistan. In May, Australia raised its troop numbers in Afghanistan to 300. Um, meanwhile, leaks um, by whistleblowers to the ABC in July and ongoing g- g- inquiry have revealed that Australia's special forces in Afghanistan have been responsible for human rights abuses. Yeah, Do you have any kind of things to add, Breed, to this
2: Um, Yeah, I just think it speaks volumes that the article mentions that in a situation where Russia's belligerent President Vladimir Putin is able to play the role of a level-headed voice of sanity, Western countries are distancing themselves from President Trump. Um, I just think uh, post-Cold War, the kind of general um, theme in Western countries has been that um, Russia is... um, not to be trusted i think at this point where putin is um, um uh emerging as uh the sane one in this conflict this really um points to um the devastating state of politics with trump in charge
1: mm. i i think one one of the more one more interesting things is um i mean not that i support hillary clinton because hillary clinton is just as much as a warmonger but people were People were, there were some people that were arguing that Trump would be better than Hillary Clinton on the basis that he wouldn't go to wars. Because, But no, clearly the recent developments show that no, he's just as mad and probably much more irrational than, say, than say Hillary Clinton. Um, and it's pretty, you know, we're kind of in a bit of a, a freaky time when, you know, there's a possibility of a kind of, you know, nuclear... You know a, a potential, you know, cold war between, you know, North Korea and United States, and of course the media is always keen to portray North Korea as like the bully when it's actually, you know, it's the United States the one that has the massive nuclear arsenal and, and so on. Um, now, I okay, guess so, um, I'll play a quick, I'll play a quick um, announcement, and then we'll get on to our first interview for the program.
4: You've got to remember NADOC's a special day for us, fellas. It's a reminder who we are.
3: Every year for NADOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live
4: prison broadcast. I am a black, black
1: man.
0: NADOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. MADOC means a lot to me, for my family and my people. You
2: can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy, Happy MADOC! We will not negotiate with my administrative
4: title government or anyone on, on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well, then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scumgy dollars.
0: Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice.
2: For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all
0: is
1: seeing the country destroyed. Okay, sorry for that, um, listeners. This is a bit of issue of getting the phone number. Um, so on the line, um, we have um, Bruce Hearn, um, who I think is he's part of a band called um, The Strange Tenants, um, and he has gathered some of uh, Melbourne Flash Australia's best folk musicians to come together to form the Machinists um, to give new life to the songs of legendary balladeer Um, Woody Guthrie, of course, given the state of the world with rising racism, intolerance, violence and war going, the time has come to, you know, rediscover and celebrate the power, humanity and social justice messages of Woody Guthrie. Remember, if not for Woody, there would be no Bob Dylan. So, um, good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Bruce.
3: Yeah, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you now. I've I've got to press the button. This hasn't been um, (laughs) the most well-run program today. Um, But (laughs) yeah, um, did you hear my first question?
3: Yeah, yeah, I did. Right. Like, um, I, th- I, th- I think I did. Yeah, look, um, it's um, it's it, it's the 50th anniversary, actually, this year, this October of the death of Woody Guthrie, which is, was the impetus for me putting together this project and um, organising these concerts and um, recording an album, etc. So it's, um, yeah, um, really, it's a really important time. And as you said, given the state of the world, you know, which is pretty sorry at the moment with rising... You know, sort of fascism and xenophobia around the world, and unemployment and inequality—they're all the things that Woody was seeing about, you know, in the 30s and 40s. So um, it's a good to uh, remind people that um, you know, through through song and through music uh, of the of, of these issues.
1: Yeah, can, what can you tell us more about? You know, the history of kind of like you know, and the significance of Woody Guthrie's music, especially since potentially a lot of our listeners might not have you know ever listened yeah. to before.
3: Yeah, well, it's a, lo- it's a long while ago, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, in the, in the, uh, most people would know that in the 1930s there was a great economic depression, and uh, it probably hit, hit the United States harder than anywhere else uh, in the world, being you know, sort of the leading capitalist sort of country at the time, and um, uh, massive unemployment, and it coincided with an ecological disaster um, of uh, massive storms and tornadoes which ripped up all the soil... Off uh, the central plains and um, places like um, Oklahoma, etc., and thousands of farmers, small farmers who owed money to the banks, just lost everything. Their land was useless; all the topsoil was gone, and they were people were actually literally starving. You don't normally think of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people being that poor in the United States, and they were starving. And word came out that there was a little bit of work available for people in California, and um, about half a million people got on the road and headed to California in search of work. Apparently there was 5,000 jobs and half a million people headed there. And when they got to the border of California, there were police and uh, soldiers uh, with machine guns stopping people from moving. And the way, we're, the way we treat refugees is the United States, would, they were treating their own people as refugees from other states in exactly the same way. So, um, yeah, we haven't, we haven't um, come along very far in terms of humanity.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess um, um, one of the things um, you know um, that um, you're going to be doing with this, um, you know, um, tour, is it, uh, have you is it, is there it going to be kind of like you're going to be updating like a lot of Woody's um, songs to you know fit a modern yeah, we, we,
3: context? We've, we've we've updated a couple of them. In fact, what, one of his great songs is um, uh, called All, "All You Fascists Found to Lose," because one of the things that Woody, Woody wrote. He wrote most of his songs during the Depression, but also the Depression led into the Second World War and the uh, the war against Nazi Germany and against fascism. So he wrote a lot of songs against fascism as well. And he's got this great song called All You Fascists Bound to Lose. So I've written an extra verse um to uh, give Donald Trump and Pauline Hansen and uh, Bernardi etc a bit of a mention um, to uh, give it a bit of local context and to um, you yeah, know to link it in with the, the world with the world today and um, but the thing about Woody Guthrie is that he he was really a re- he he reflected his times and a you know, people say oh he was a political singer and of course he was a political singer but he was just singing about life and um, he want, he once said he wrote well, he's probably his most famous song is um, uh, "This Land Is Your Land." I don't know if people, yeah, many people in Australia, have heard of it, but it's, it's become almost the alternative national anthem in the United States. It was used by Bernie Sanders as the closing song at all of his rallies in the, in the last presidential election in the U.S. And um, that song um, sort of uh, it. I, th- I think that that sort of sum, sums up Woody and when he wrote that song he, he he put a little footnote at the bottom of his bit of paper when he wrote out the words and he just said I just write what I see.
1: Yeah. Um and so can you tell us about um you know uh, have you has this been turned into um an album and you're also doing going to be doing a tour and what are kind of like the dates and um yep. for this upcoming tour?
3: Yeah, look we're, it's not really a tour we've got a couple of we it's just in Melbourne and we're only we've got a couple of dates we're doing uh, the first sunday the 1st of october at the caravan club uh, which is sunday afternoon in oakley and then on the s- friday night the 6th of october at the spotted mallard which um, yeah people inner the city melbourne people should get along to um, so
1: is that um, in the inner the the city, city of melbourne the spotted mallard yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah these shows these shows are these shows are all in melbourne uh, look i'd love to i'd love to tour it or whatever I, I guess it's a it's about um if if there's enough interest and, you know, someone can, you know, assist us to do it, we'd love to do it. I mean, I'd love to do it. Um, we've also um, done an album, uh, which is um, called Songs of Freedom, a tribute to Woody. And um, it's got all these all these songs on it, and well, ten, ten, 10 of his songs. The thing about Woody Guthrie is he was so prolific; he wrote. They reckon he wrote more than more than two thousand songs, and many of them just never just are still being discovered because he scribbled them down on bits of paper and gave them away and uh, and whatnot. He was uh, quite an incredible um, songwriter.
1: All right. All right. So, um, do you, I guess? Um, I'm not sure if I have any more questions. And um, do you have any kind of like final comments um, to say?
3: Oh, just that uh, I think it's Woody Guthrie a really good reminder of the importance of um, protest music, uh, and, uh, and and in particular, particularly folk music. Uh, thing I like about thing I like about folk music, even though for, for the last thirty years my band Strange Tenors is sort of scar reggae, you know, full on, bit sort of punkish in a way. But um, the thing I love about folk music is, is because it tends to be with acoustic instruments the emphasis is on listening to the the singing and the lyrics and so you have an opportunity to really say something and people can really hear your messages and um if you're seeing things that are real about people um rather than so much of the garbage that gets you know produced in, by the music industry, so-called. Um, if you sing songs that are real and that reflect real life and and real people's hopes and dreams or whatever, I think there'll always be um, an audience for it. And uh, so, yeah, so we're looking forward to the show and hoping people can it will um, will uh, pick up on the album as well.
1: Yeah, sounds great. Um, unfortunately, you, you sent me a link to one of the songs, but I wasn't able to get it loaded up in time. Um, that's but, all right. but I'll definitely we'll definitely play um, play it next week, and we'll also continue um, to promote um, the shows you're playing. You know, we can put um, we can put those dates um, in the Green Left Weekly Activist Calendar, um, so they can give you a, you. Send it sent right. out. Um, right. So yeah, that's, um, Ray, thanks for for being on the show, and um, yeah, I'll, yeah, hopefully yep. I could make one of your. Your shows in the future?
3: Yeah, look, that would be that be great, and it would be great to see some, you know, quite a few sort of, you know, left lefties at the show because I want people to be singing along with them. So um, people who, who are politically um, inspired will, I think, will get more out of the show than anyone probably. So um, yeah, and you can find the the album and everything is up is up on Spotify and iTunes and all that, so you can find it you can find it there too.
1: All right, thank you very much.
3: No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Bye. Cheers.
1: All right. um, You're listening to Green Left um, Weekly Radio. Um, It is 8 a.m. And now it will be time to do for the activist calendar. So tonight um, there will be a apparently there is going to be a film night and forum about Chile, forty four years, um, you know, commemorating the kind of events of September eleven and you know remembering them. Um, They'll be at six thirty pm at the Shreds Hall, um, which is entry by um, Lygon Street in the car park, and it's hosted by Laznet. On Saturday, September the 16th, um, there's going to be a number of um, interesting events. There'll be a public meeting on um, First Nations and Refugee Solidarity Panel discussion with aims to critically address the current and historical treatment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and refugees. Um, that will be at 2pm um, at the Village Rojo Fidoretta, which is at the State Library at 179 Le Shrove Street. Unfortunately, I don't know why I announced this event because I actually think it's pretty much sold out, um, but it is happening, so yeah. Yeah. Um, There'll be a film screening, um, Guarding the Galilea. Now, this is an event that isn't sold out. Um, So this is organised by Stop Adani Melbourne. Um, So they're going to be screening um, the documentary, Guarding the Galilea, which has been screened quite a number of times. And I think we've probably announced this particular film screening over most ten times over the course of the programme because there's always local film screenings and that. But if you haven't seen it, um, there'll be a chance to see it at the Federation Square at 6.30pm on Saturday, September the 16th. Um, on Sunday, um, September the 17th, um, there'll be um, Political Asylum, um, which will be an hour of um, political comedy from Toby and um, Matthew, Halligan and Matthew Kennedy. Um, They'll be at 5.30pm at the Brunswick Green, um, which is in Brunswick on Sydney Road. Just So just search um, Brunswick Green on Google. Um, so on Sunday, there'll be our rally from Charlottesville to Melbourne, um, basically an uh, anti-fascist demonstration, um, because basically a group of far-right groups together with known fascists have called a demonstration, um, and we'll, there's going to be a counter-protest organized So that's happening at 11.30am um, at the State Library, um, and now uh, just one a bit of significant um, news to submit that apparently one group, um, I think the Blues Crew or something, um, or one of the far right groups, have actually pulled out of actually mobilising for it um, because of the yeah because of the left wing opposition. So it's just good news. Yeah. Um, so Bree, has some that Go to follow that?
2: Yeah, um, this coming Monday, September the eighteenth, there's another film screening, Prison Songs, a groundbreaking documentary that gives voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um it is shot entirely behind bars. Um, described as funny yet achingly sad and its account of the eventful lives is delivered via um musical performances of real inmates. It's at eight PM entry uh tickets are five dollars, Kensington Neighborhood House, eighty nine McCracken Street, Kensington. Um uh, Tuesday, September 19th, Forum, uh, the story behind the Marriage Equality Campaign. Uh, speaker Farida Iqbal, uh long-time LGBTI campaigner, um, has she's been involved in the campaign since its inception in 2004. Um, that will be really good. Uh, it's held at 1pm at Victoria University, Footscray Park Campus, room C502B, um, and hosted by Victoria University Socialist Alliance. Um, details via Facebook Uh, Thursday, September 21 Comedy Gala Australia Says Yes 8pm Athenium Theatre Collins Street in the city Um, bookings via Facebook Um, Saturday, September 23 book reading Dem Dem Ifacardus sorry I didn't say that right I know Um, the author reads from his new novel which is loosely based on the real life occupation of a skyscraper in Caracas, Venezuela 3 pm New International Bookshop Trades Hall Basement, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. Um, and on September 25th, there's another film screening of *Guarding the Galilee. Um, come along to this screening of the acclaimed documentary uh, on the proposed Adani coal mine, um, 2 pm 14, uh, 14 Ivanhoe Parade, Ivanhoe.
1: Yeah. All right, so it's the page of announcements done. Okay, so the next um, the next um, announcements is there's going to be I think it's the Melbourne Fringe Festival is happening now, um, and so there'll be this well known um, political com- um, comedian Sean Bedlam um, who will be doing uh, uh, you know a bit of a a bit of a uh, A series of shows um, from Monday, September the twenty fifth to Sunday, the October first, and it's um, titled "Deaf to America." Um, And you know, tell you a bit about the program. It's right here. Dreams can come true. It is two thousand and seventeen. The United States of America has lost its mind. The world looks on as the American dream becomes a nightmare. Should we let these idiots take us down with them? Obviously, the answer is no. Um, but, of course, um, comedian um, philosopher Sean Bedlam takes you on a journey to a beautiful land beyond the end of the world um, and and because dreams come true. And, of course, warning contains coarse language and adult themes. So that will be at the Courthouse Hotel, which is at the dock corner of um, Errol and Queensbury Street in North Melbourne. Um, to make bookings, search um, Melbourne Fringe Festival um, and check um, and look up Sean Bedlam. Um, I think, this, and this is another thing. that I think that this part might be part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival, but this is Fiat Echo. um buckle up, um, which I think is a reading. the bit of the description here. It's a bit of a feminist play that's running from Wednesday, twenty seventh to Sunday, October first. So that's going to be at the La Mama, La Mama Courthouse, three forty nine Drummond. Street in Carlton, and the shows will be running from Wednesday, September the 27th to October the 1st. Um, So, probably just um, to find out more, to make bookings, probably search either La Mama Courthouse and find out what um, and search for Echo Buckle Up or just search um, Echo Buckle Up um, in Google, and you can probably find. Um, there'll be more theatre, another one called Dis Place, um, D-I-S Place, um, presented by this mob's collective of emerging Indigenous artists in collaboration with local Indigenous organisations community. This place is a series of live art performances and events travelling between locations along along Gerto Street. The event will engage the community, critiquing the ongoing gentrification of Fitzroy and um, allowing the movement of black bodies to find this place. Um, that's at the Curie Club at um, forty-three Gretro Street in Fitzroy, and you can po- potentially make, and you can probably make bookings by searching um, searching this place. Um, on Sunday, October the 1st, um, there'll be another mass rally, um, um, Yes for Melbourne, mobilised for marriage equality. Record-breaking numbers of people have taken to the streets to show their support for the Yes campaign in the marriage equality postal survey. We need to keep up this momentum to make sure every equality supporter remain, remembers to send in their survey and encourages everyone they know to do the same. Key to this is keeping up the mass demonstrations in favour of the Yes vote. So that's going to be at 1pm at the State Library. Um, there'll be a film screening, um, Battle of the Sexes, which we announced earlier in the program, um, the story of Billie Jean's victory um, over Bobby Riggs and their famous te- tennis match. Um, They'll be at 6.30pm at the Palace Westgarth Cinemas, at, which is at 89 High Street in Northcote, and you can make bookings by phoning zero. Um, 0- Three nine four one nine eight three seven seven during business hours. Um, there'll be a forum on October the fifth. Um, forum: Syrian conflict. Who should the left support? We're panel speakers. They'll be at seven pm at the New International Bookshop at Trades Hall basement. Um, on Sunday, there'll be a rally for refugees and offshore processing and mandatory detention. Bring them here. Let them stay. Two pm at the State Library. Um, I'll just quickly give this – Brie will finish off the last few announcements while I'll get the next um, interview ready.
2: Um, Wednesday, October 18, uh, there's a rally to defend and extend public housing at 2pm on the Parliament steps in Spring Street in the city, um, hosted by Defend and Extend Public Housing via Facebook. Uh, Saturday, October 21, Walk Together 2017, am State Library, um, on Swanster Street in the city. Details also via Facebook. Um, Friday, October 20 to Sunday, October 22, there's a deep ecology workshop conducted by John Seed, um, Camp Eureka 100 Tarango Road Yarra Junction, um, hosted by the Rainforest Information Centre. Um Saturday, November 5, um, there's a seminar on Northern Syria's feminist revolution um, from 10am to 7pm, Victoria University City Campus, 300 Flinders Street in the city, organised by the Kurdish Democratic Community Centre, Kurdish Women's League and Australians for Kurdistan. For more information, see Australians for Kurdistan.
1: All right, thanks for that. Um, So now we're going to go make a very quick transition into our next um, interview. Um, So on the line we have Sue Bolton um, who is the social science councillor um, for the city of Moreland in the North East ward? Um, and we're going to be talking to her um, to talk um, to discuss about the recent um, decisions of the Moreland City Council to abolish um, Australia Day celebrations, and of course there has been the big media backlash um, with the Australian. The free AW going on a massive attack on Sue Bolton in particular, um, especially around some of the comments she made in the meeting. So, um, good morning, Sue.
4: Hi, how's it going?
1: Yeah. Um, so, maybe to start off, um, we can talk um, talk about what was the kind of decision um, that was made at the Moreland Council meeting.
4: So, the motion uh, included a few different points. It included uh, recognising that on the 26th of January marks the beginning of the invasion of Australia, which is also quite important because often official bodies, governmental bodies, uh, don't like to make any kind of reference to that fact. Um, It also included acknowledging that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders never ceded sovereignty. It acknowledged that the first day of mourning was held on January 26, 1938, when the Aboriginal community came together in Sydney um, for that. Um, And it um, committed to supporting the Change the Date campaign, um, which has been something which has been going on for some time, but got a leg up earlier this year when Fremantle Council decided to cancel... It's Australia Day event and shift it to a different day um, and so that was that all passed unfortunately, there was one thing which was added uh which also passed um which was to keep citizenship ceremonies on the twenty sixth of January, and that decision actually you know, does run counter to the rest of the motion. But it is still a, ste- a big step forward for Council to adopt um, or support the change of the date campaign and to recognise that 26th of January is um, Mark's, you know, the beginning of the British invasion of Australia and I, I think that is important, that, and and to stop referring to the 26th of January as Australia Day. So all of that's really important. Um, although the decision to keep citizenship ceremonies on the day, you know, is indicates we've still got work to do to, you know, win council to uh, an even stronger position.
1: Yeah, I guess um, following that, despite the fact that, you know, that um, citizenship is still maintained, the um, the decision has actually still provo- um, provoked a very massive backlash um, from the mainstream media. Um, and I, I kind of want to um, hear your comments about that particular backlash and maybe talk a bit more about what were some of the arguments that were put forward against um, against putting this motion forward by the, potentially by some of the councillors that voted against it.
4: Well, I think, um, I mean, the mainstream media has probably mainly focused on a particular comment which I made, which I absolutely stand by, because I was trying to draw out the comparison between what happened to Aboriginal people and something else which people can broadly identify with, and that is the Nazi Holocaust, because the Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people experienced a real genocide, a full-on genocide, a holocaust. And I compared celebrating Australia Day on the 26th of January, the beginning of the invasion, with um, a celebration of the Nazi holocaust and calling it Germany Day. So, that, And I stand by those comments, absolutely, because it is very similar. A lot of people are abhorrent about the Nazi Holocaust. Um, A lot of people are also abhorrent about the genocide that happened to the First Nations in Australia. But there are also a lot of Australians who've never really thought about what actually happened to Aboriginal people. And they just have this viewpoint that, oh well, it all happened a long time ago, they should just get over it, blah, blah. That's not the case. Um, Aboriginal people have suffered intergenerational trauma. So there was the original invasion, the genocide, with many massacres all over the country. Um, followed by, you know, being pushed off, being pushed off land, intermission, stripped of culture, excluded from the workforce. Um, uh, and that was a big thing, being excluded from the workforce, having their wages stolen from them. Um, so there 's a stolen wages campaign um, experiencing an apartheid system where they weren 't allowed to live in the center of towns and cities. Um, they were excluded to living in sh- basically shanty towns on, on the outskirts or even beyond the outskirts of towns and cities so Aboriginal people expo- ex- experience all of that and so there's been an impact and then followed by the stolen generations um so all of those things have added up to people who've experienced a lot of trauma uh, an incredible amount of trauma and that trauma is still being visited on current generations today if it wasn't still the case um, in the aboriginal community today still suffering you wouldn't see the levels of poverty of the Aboriginal Aboriginal community today. Aboriginal Aboriginal people would have similar levels of unemployment and poverty and so forth as the rest of Australia if if um, they'd overcome the intergenerational trauma and that has not happened. Mm. So I I, I st- absolutely stand by that. I think Aboriginal people are uh, feel. Terrible on the twenty sixth of January. Um, there is a lot, of, a huge amount of sadness in the Aboriginal community, and I think it's really outrageous that governments ask Aboriginal people to do welcomes to country on that day of all days. Mm.
1: Well, it's um, it's sort of like there was um, there was this one time this uh, kind of Australian comedian around the time. I don't know, I forgot his, I've got her name, but she made this kind of comparison that you know, basically. Um, you know, celebrating Australia Day um, is sort of like it's like you know, like imagine you you're in a share house and you know yeah living with um, friends and your friends want to hold a party on a day where your mother died, but they don't. Um, you say no, can we not do it on that day? And they still insist on you know holding day for like. For that kind of everyday example, um, that is like exactly you know what kind of like you know celebrating Australia Day represents. And I guess another one thing I want to take up is um, one of the kind of arguments that comes from the right wing, um, and this is they've applied it to when to any kind of decision, um, any kind of left wing or progressive move that the council's made. And this applies to the Darabin, um, the Steve Yara, who also um, who you know who also have also abolished Australia Day celebrations, that, oh, you know, councils shouldn't make a stand on social justice issues like this because all councils should deal, um, do is um, deal with rates, roads and rubbish. And I would like to hear, you know, Sue, what is your kind of response um, to that kind of right-wing kind of argument?
4: Well, it's pretty ridiculous because even right-wing councillors don't stick to roads, rates and rubbish. They raise plenty of right wing ideas on council. And council is about um, both taking decisions about what it can do itself, but it's also about all sorts of other things beyond roads, rates, and rubbish. Um, You know, I mean, it's involved, councils are involved in, um, and in fact, even one council on the night raised the argument that. Even with the issues of roads, rates, and rubbish, council doesn't totally control what happens in these areas. So later on that night uh, of the council meeting, um, I was uh, moving a motion around pedestrian safety on a particular street in Moreland. Moreland doesn't control that particular road. It's a road that's controlled by Vic roads. So all Moreland can do is advocate on behalf of its citizens. So even with the so-called roads, rates and rubbish, um, Moreland doesn't have control of all of those decisions. Other levels of government and private enterprise have an impact on or control some of what happens with those things. So council plays a role in advocating for the community. But in reality, most most, um, councillors or federal government or whatever who put that forward, is they just don't want councils to adopt positions or advocate positions which run counter to their positions. So if they're, you know, I mean, you could say all of the Anzac Day celebrations that happen all over Australia are nothing to do with roads, roads rubbish, but all sorts of right-wing councils who, or councillors, who go on and on about you know um, councils should stick to roads rates and rubbish get involved in those celebrations every year um, they get they advocate all sorts of things about you know commemorating World War one battles or this or that so it's just really an argument that they use whenever councils adopt a position that's um, a progressive position. They tend not to um, use it when councils adopt right-wing or reactionary positions. And, you know, those councils themselves, you know, later on in the same night, I put forward a motion, which you would think is very much involved with um, council business um, about a contaminated site in Faulkner where Agent Orange was produced in the 60s and 70s to the great detriment of the community. Um, I, I put forward a motion that um, there should be a full, um, full comprehensive testing of the site and a um, statutory environmental audit of the site before there's any consideration of development applications on the site. I couldn't get a seconder for that motion, which is quite shameful, um, and that includes from the councillors who were going on and on about roads, roads and rubbish, and, and councillors sticking to their basic uh, tasks, Well, you couldn't get anything more basic than development on a contaminated site, and that was actually an appalling thing that council refused to back a motion. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, so it's a totally spurious argument that's just trotted out um, to argue against decisions or proposals that they um, they disagree with. I
1: guess another, I guess something i um, want to discuss um, with the limited time we have is, um, you know, following um, how Moreland Council has become like the third. Um, council following the Yarra Council and the Derbin Council in abolishing australia day celebrations, but there's something a bit more insidious uh, that i um, that I think needs to be um, discussed more openly is um what you know this kind of right wing reaction um from you know the, um, the the Australian government in response to these councils making this kind of stand on australian day um it kind of because you know you kind of commented. At the council meeting, which I was at, um, that you know, Australia Day hasn't always been celebrated um, to the extent that it has been, um, and, and in fact, you kind of note that one of the first celebrations was in 1994. Um, it sounds like like with Anzac Day, there's a kind of very deliberate push by the right wing, you know, to prop up these um, these days as something being more significant. Um, as what they are, you know, obviously to royal nationalism. And I wanted to kind of see and the ensuing backlash and the fact that the Turnbull government is willing to bully lo- local councils um, f- um, uh, from preventing them from holding citizenship so needs for making this decision, um, you know, says something about the kind of deliberate kind of agenda um, of the Australian government um, about around this day. And I would like to see a bit of a comment on that.
4: Well, that's right. Australia Day hasn't always been celebrated on the 26th of January. Um, It's only been a public holiday nationally since 1994. Um, And prior to that, Australia Day has often been celebrated on different days, or especially before the 30s and 40s. I, I think it sort of did start to become regarded as Australia Day in around the 30s or 40s. Um, but probably even then it wasn't really consistent. Um, but it only became a public holiday in 1994. And while I haven't really properly researched all of this, I remember a really great book which um, I read called What's Wrong with ANZAC? Um, the Militarisation of Australian History. And that book, which was um, two of the contributing authors were Henry Reynolds and Marilyn Lake, that book uh, did a survey of how Anzac Day has been celebrated and is celebrated in Australia, Um, not by everybody, but, you know, there's a layer of people where it's not remembrance, it's celebration and nationalism, et cetera. Um, That book traced how... Anzac Day had evolved over the years and also the fact that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of First World War veterans refused to march in Anzac Day. Um, It it was not necessarily this popular kind of day that it is today um, for various reasons. And actually a lot of First World War veterans became pacifists and communists as a result of their experience of the war. But the... um, But basically it seems that the history of what happened to Anzac Day was that after the massive 1988 bicentenary protest by Aboriginal community and their supporters in Sydney in 1988, where 100,000 people protested um, the bicentenary um, on the 26th of January, um, they realised this is a hawk-keating Labour government. They realised that they probably could never really make Australia Day, you know, the 26th of January, a really um, big Australia Day. So they then started to really pump up Anzac Day. So Bob Hawke was the first Prime Minister who ever went to Gallipoli on Anzac Day. I hadn't actually realised that before. And then they nudged the RSL out of the road and started organising Anzac Day through the Department of Veterans Affairs and gave massive funding to the Department of Veterans Affairs. So there was a big push which came under a former Labor government, which was then ramped up by um, the Howard Liberal government, um, to really turn Anzac Day into a massive nationalistic kind of thing. And I suspect that the... Ter- the um, the decision to make the 26th of January January a national public holiday um, in 1994 was probably part of that push to try and find some way of getting Australians to celebrate the
1: 26th of January Australia Day. and And, you know... Yeah. Unfortunately, I think we're running very low on time now, um, so I'm going to have to cut you off there, so we'll okay. end you on that point. Um, thank you very much, um, Sue, for um, speaking to us um, and um, um, solidarity with you because you're probably facing a lot of backlash from um, the right-wing, um, especially um, potential ab- abusive messages from lots of right-winners. All right. Over that. Thank you.
4: No worries. Thanks very much. Bye. All right. All
1: um, right. Thank you, um, everyone. Um, we have to quickly wrap this up. Um, so, thank our guests for being on the program and thank you, listeners, for um, stay tuned for next week on Friday, 7am. This brings
0: us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 634 206. For new subscribers it is only $10 for the first six issues. Three piece of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.